I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Economist Asks. I'm your host, Anne McElvoy. And this week we're asking, what's the role of religion in a divided society? I'm here in New York City to meet the most reverend Michael Curry. He's the first African-American presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, the American branch of Anglicanism. He's been active in many arguments, often fraught ones in the church, about gay marriage, and he's also described President Trump's America First doctrine as theological heresy. He sparked a debate along the way about the role of religion in an era of populism and of Donald Trump. His renown outside the ranks of the faithful soared last May when he gave a very spirited sermon at the marriage of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Imagine this tired old world when love is is the way, when, when love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive, when love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war. And he became world famous overnight, immortalised in a Saturday Night Live sketch to boot. Bishop Curry, welcome to Thank you. The Economist Arts. Thank you. Let's dive in on the wedding because that's where so many people will know you from. How did your invitation come about and what was your response? Well, the, the, uh, the royal couple um, ultimately made the decision and... Um, that was communicated to me via the Archbishop of Canterbury. At first, I didn't really know um, how to respond because there was a part of me, he spoke with a member of my staff, and the member of my staff found me. I was en route somewhere, and I thought the member of my staff was kidding me. I said, surely you are kidding. And it, was, it, could, it just took a while to realize, is this re- really happening? And uh, the Archbishop was most gracious in conveying their desire. And, um, that of course, you say yes. Um, of course. You didn't hesitate. No, no. Glad I to did. do it. It was a particularly, it was quite a fiery, quite literally fiery sermon. Lots of mentions of love and, and fire. It was a bit of a, a, a shocker to some of the more staid members of the Anglican Church and possibly some of the congregation at the wedding. Well, you know, I suspect the, the, uh, what, what I've found is that the, the response to the sermon um, that I've run into most frequently has actually been around the theme of love. That um, I think one of the important things that, um, that's really going on is we in Christianity are really trying to reclaim the core 
and the essence of the faith of Jesus of Nazareth. And if you really look at Jesus of Nazareth very carefully, you will discover that at his core, at the center, is the way of love. Now, I'm not talking about a sentimental um, kind of love, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the way, a way of love that is centered on unselfish, sacrificial living that seeks the good and the welfare of others before one's own unenlightened self-interest. And that way of love is a spiritual discipline. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a practice. And that way of love actually changes interpersonal relationships, personal relationships, social, political, global. That way of love, sacrificial love, which is what Dr. King was talking about based on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, that way of love, that's a game changer in human relationships. And what about the, the style and the, the great kind of flair with which you delivered it? Oh. I mean, did you feel that you know, this is a, a bit you know, interesting being in Windsor Chapel? It's mm-hmm. a much more formal setting. Mm-hmm. There are occasional excitements in uh, Anglican Church in Britain, but that, mm-hmm. it's not generally the style of oh, okay. the, the sermon. And did you consider that? Well, I'm probably, I'm an American. <laughs> and so America, um, as it was settled and as America evolved, the frontier became the, the setting when much preaching happened by itinerant preachers who traveled on horseback and that kind of thing. And so I probably reflect that American spirit in, in that respect. But I have to tell you, the congregation, they were wonderful. I've been a parish pastor a long time before I was bishop. And one of the things I learned was, how do you hear someone saying an amen, not with their lips, but with their eyes? Give me they, an they, amen. They may be absolutely quiet, but if they're looking at you intently, they're giving you their version of an amen. And so everybody doesn't have to shout to be with you. Everybody doesn't have to clap their hands to be with you. But if you watch their eyes, you can tell if they're asleep <laughs> or if they're really listening to the message and taking it in in their own way. And I, I looked at the congregation present, and in their way, they were taking the message in, and that's all you ever want. That works. What do you think about the, the role of the monarchy now, and how do you think Meghan Markle's entry into the royal family in Britain will change that? You know, I have, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the royal family, and um, I see some human beings who are... Um, trying to help the rest of us learn how to be human beings and family together. And I think that wedding, I mean, just, just think about that wedding. It brought together, see, that wedding was a sign of what love can do. That wedding brought together Britain and the United States. I mean, you know, we're allies and friends and all of that kind of stuff, but it brought two very different cultures um, together. That wedding brought a variety of cultures within England, within Britain, um, in terms of the music, Um, You had the Boys and Men's Choir, you had the Gospel Choir, you had that celloist. You had a variety of worlds were brought together. Um, That is a sign of what love can actually do. But what about Meghan Markle? She comes, as you say, from America. That brings the two worlds together. She also is from a a society very different from the one she's she's entering into. And she has an African-American heritage in in Mm -hmm. part on her mother's side. What difference do you think? Will she shake up the royal family? I'm not going to get into that. Well, time will tell. Let me tell you what happened at the wedding. That all of that heritage, all of that history that she brings, all of the history that he brings, 
those two worlds came together and they looked at each other with the adoring eyes of love. All I know is that love that they have between each other brought different worlds together. It brought people from around the world together to see the wedding. It really did. It brought people of different, I've talked to people of different political persuasions, liberals and conservatives, who just rejoiced at the love that they saw. If that happened at the wedding, well imagine what will happen with the rest of their lives, but better than that. Imagine, no, imagine what can happen with our lives in the life of the world. This way of love, uh-uh, this yeah, way no, of love. I know, no, 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 sorry, no, no let me finish, let me finish, no, no, let on. me finish, hold That's on. That's not a sermon. Hold on, my sister, hold on, hold on. Hold on, my sister, hold on. This way of love changes everything. It makes space for all of us. That's what we saw, and that's the hope for all of us. So what should they do? You've got this What's lovely young royal couple. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got to know a little bit. What should they do? What should they bring, in the spirit of what you've discussed, what should they bring into the, the royal family at this time in Britain and the world? I can't enter into that. I really can't, because I'm an American. It would be presumptuous for me to speak for them. That, that's not my job. I can tell you what it means here. I can tell you what I think it means in the world. See, what it means in the world is that we are going to be passionately committed about the abolition of poverty. In the world, it means we're going to do whatever we have to do to bring war to an end. In the world, it means we're going to do whatever we have to do to clean up this environment so that we do not destroy God's creation. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what I'm interested and in, passionate about. So let's, let's talk about that. I mean, one thing that the, the wedding did give you is, was a huge mm. platform for your kind of views about religion in the world. Mm-hmm. And you're very strongly identified here, I think, with a, a kind of progressive church, small, small p progressive, but mm-hmm. a church that takes on progressive social values. What stops people who cleave to that at a time when we tend to live too much in bubbles and we've seen a lot mm-hmm. of the political consequences of that perhaps particularly here in the u.s but also beyond it what stops people then saying you know i found my progressive church i found the nice progressive bishop who's in charge of it and so i really don't need to question my values anymore because he's on the same side i'm on pro-gay marriage uh, make poverty history all those (laughs) good causes the the truth is the among episcopalians here in the united states I would have to say that we would, the, the average population of Episcopalians would be a mix. You have conservative Republicans, uh, liberal Democrats, uh, progressive and just plain independent independents. I mean, it really is a church of real uh, political um, diversity, actually. Uh, we are probably rightfully characterized as progressive on some questions, social questions before us. But on other questions, I think our people uh, hold a variety of perspectives. And I'll give you a good example of what I think really is critical. On the one hand, one can be progressive or traditional, and yet are you humane in the midst of it all? And do you make room and space for people who disagree with you? And, and we've been working hard as a church that, that I'm going. is exactly the, the, That's the, exactly the, what the I'm problem, about to isn't it? That the more people become divided and the more a president who irks them uh, and sort of fires up his base, but also fires up opposition. So give me a concrete example. I mean, what have you changed about yeah, the way um, that's, you That's where things? I was headed. Um, we were a church where we allow for the marriage of same-sex couples, and we believe that that 
when people are in love and they're committing themselves to, to the fullness of life, they ought to have that possibility and ought to have the blessing of God in the church on that. But we are also a church, so we, we allow for that and make space for that. But we're also a church where there are people who do not believe in that. And literally at this last general convention of the Episcopal Church where we make decisions about governing our lives, we made provision to make sure that both of those integrities, both of those positions are respected and honored because the people who hold them are all children of God. And so we are living actually with those differences as one church. And I would submit that's a model. That's, that's a model for how we can live together in human community and society. You've been a very strong proponent of gay marriage, welcoming uh, gay marriage in the church. Mm-hmm. Puts you at odds with Canterbury, with the, at least the official position of the Anglican uh, communion I- in England. How do you feel about that? I love the Church of England and the people of the Church of England and the Archbishop. And we will agree or disagree on a number of things, but love overcomes many differences. And he so, thinks you're moving too fast, really, doesn't he? Well, the, you have to, ask, the, you have to talk society. to him about that. I, I, I believe um, in what we have done here, but we have not only made provision for uh, gay people to be married in our church, but we've also made provision for people who disagree with that to know that this church is their home, uh, that this is their home too. And, and the capacity to make space for others, whether they agree or disagree, I believe that's what Jesus Christ teaches us to do. Let's talk then directly about Donald Trump. You've said that America first, as far as you're concerned, is a theological heresy. You also ended up really being pulled perhaps towards a protest movement against Trump. How do you draw the line of where religion should stop and where you know, politics starts? Well, actually, the, the protest, for example, that you're mentioning was a prayer vigil. It wasn't a protest. It was, was a, really, though, wasn't it? No, it was a prayer vigil. We started in a church. We had sermons. We read scripture. We sang hymns. We spoke of how the Holy Scriptures apply in our context. But we did not. We prayed for the end of poverty. We prayed for the establishment of justice. We prayed for the president of the United States. Whether we agree or disagree, we prayed for him. And then we walked in a silent processional, candlelight processional, to the White House. At the White House, we sang the hymn, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Jesus gave it to me, I'm gonna let it shine. And then we prayed. And then we stated the affirmations that that you're referring to, one one of those affirmations. We read those affirmations and we prayed that we might live them and that our nation might live them. This, this was a prayer vigil, um, and, and that's really what we were about. It was about. a prayer vigil with a number of political messages attached, yes? It was a religious message that had political and social implications, but not a political message first, a religious one. It's what did time. you want Donald Trump to do differently as a result? What did you realistically expect that a president of Donald we want, Trump's we want, outlook would do differently? Well, we want not just Donald Trump, We want our country to reflect the values that have made America great. That that as as Thomas Jefferson said um, in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that all people are created equal and endowed by the creator, 
not voted by any government, endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want our country to reflect its founding documents, to reflect what we say in the Declaration of Independence. We Good want this, hold on, hold on, take you in hold a on. Lot of different we, I know, but stay, you stay with me, stay with me. We want our country to reflect the Pledge of Allegiance that I was taught as a child in school and children to this day stand, uh, Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We want to be a country where there is justice for all. And stay with me. A country where there is justice for all does not separate children from their mothers when they are refugees trying to immigrate into this country. We do what is just, what is kind, what is decent, what is right. And when America does what is right and good and just and decent, then and only then is America great. Right, I'm doing the amen with the eyes thing. <laughs> I know you are. I'm with you. <laughs> but do you think uh, any of that message really got through? Do you see any sign that, that the Trump administration... Let's talk yes about the role no. of, of religion here. I mean, how much do you think that they are sensitive, that the White House, in this incarnation, is sensitive to the role of religion? I can't tell you specifically about how the White House was um, sensitive to the role of religion in this context, but I can tell you more broadly. The, as a result of that prayer vigil, we encouraged um, all of the leaders who were there and all of the people who were there to participate in similar prayer vigils, especially around the detention of children um, at our borders. And they were doing that. And we did that as Episcopalians when we were at our general convention. Some 12 busloads of Episcopalians left the convention. I was one of them. And we, in fact, we adjourned, um, recessed part of the convention for a while. We went to a detention center there near Texas where women were incarcerated. These were women who were trying to immigrate to the country who had been separated from their children. And we held the same kind of prayer vigil there. Um, now that, was hap that kind of thing was happening all over the country. We were part of a ferment that was beginning to build in this country. It wasn't just us. And as a result of that, the government did alter its policy. So it didn't completely change, but it did have an impact. That's where I was going. Do you think that Donald Trump acts in good faith? Do you think he's a good person? I'm not going to judge his soul. That's, as the Pope said, who am I to judge? Only God knows that. What I know are the policies that are going on. What I know are the actions um, that are going on. And, and I want my country to reflect humane actions that are decent and honorable and that reflect what I believe to be the values and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. I want to be, I want my country, I love my country, but I want my country to be a country where love of neighbor really matters. You say you don't judge Donald Trump, but in a way you are judging him. You're judging his policies, you're judging his outlook. It's, you know. Yeah, the policies. And I disagree with separating children from their parents. I disagree when the president doesn't speak when Nazis are marching through the streets and Klansmen are marching through the streets. And my president does not condemn that. I disagree with that. So I want to stay focused on the real issues that are at stake. I disagree um, when we're not giving adequate support to public education, where most of our children, and certainly the children of the poor, receive their education. I want to stay on the issues that are affecting people. It's easy to argue about Donald Trump or any politician. We must focus on the things that actually impact people. Well, would you pray for a different outcome in the next election in that case? <laughs> what a good question. One must always be careful in not telling God what to do. What I do pray for 
is that we will elect leaders who are just, who are righteous, who are loving, who are compassionate, and who are wise. That I do pray for. I must ask you about your own background, and it's you know you, you can tell us a little bit of, of, of your own story. But I'm particularly interested in this role as the first African American presiding bishop in the job. And I was sort of just loops back to the wedding. How strange was it to go back and be among an establishment very connected to the slave trade? In, mm. You know, in in those very dark times, did you feel any sort of shiver down your spine? No, because I've been a descendant of slaves my whole life, and I've had to live in the context of the American establishment my whole life. I grew up an African-American in the Episcopal Church, the American branch of Anglicanism. So this is the world I've learned to live in, I actually have, have learned to live in, and to be honest, I was at home. When, 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 when you have been a minority in a majority context, you learn how to navigate the context. And I just grew up... So you don't sometimes go to a place, and Windsor Castle might be one or any, any major sort of part of a historical kind of institutions and feel ghosts? No. No. No more than I would in the American South. In other words, I, I, I've learned to navigate that and to live with that here um, in the context where my ancestors actually were slaves. I was in Ghana um, a few years ago and at the door of no return and, and could feel the presence and a sense of, of something painful happened here. You could actually feel that. You know, that, that's all part of our history and heritage, but, that's just, but I feel that here as well as in Ghana or in Britain or wherever that's part of our history. But one of the things, let me tell you, Dr. King said before his death, and you started repeating this, he said, you know, we will either learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we'll perish together as fools. He said the choice is ours, chaos or community. I believe we've got to find a way to community. And if we learn to live together as brothers and sisters, acknowledging the pain of our past and now living in the present, we can write a new future. And I really believe that. That's our work. I'm just wondering whether you're thinking you might end up going back to Britain for a royal baptism at some point. I don't. That's not my, I don't, <laughs> that's not something I get into. I don't, they, that's not a decision. That's mine. Bishop Curry, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and we'd love to hear from you on what you think the role of religion should be, whether you're a believer, God-light, or God-free. Write to us at radio at economist.com or you can get in touch via Twitter at Economist Radio. I'm Anne McElvoy in New York. This is The Economist. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.